show podcast as always david and ryan are here what you just heard as our intro song is a song called the healer by an awesome canadian band called slammerkin who has written a whole bunch of ElfQuest themed songs and we thought it would be kind of fun to play one here on the show and um you know really as a great example of how fan art can take so many different forms i mean a lot of us are artists and we kind of draw elves inspired by wendy but there's so many other creative people out there that are doing really amazing things making dolls cosplay and in this case making music so yeah. we uh, we thought that would be kind of fun to share with you guys really cool i think it's time for another uh, wolf riders reflection album maybe part two well, yeah, well, you know, there's actually some um, some some songs from Julia Eklar who um, who who wrote and performed those um, that are out there on the internet. And if you do some googling, um, you'll be able to find them. And um, there's a couple that were not released on the album. So um, yeah, so that'll be a, a little um, fun homework assignment for for diehard folks who are really into um, into ElfQuest fan music. But what's really interesting, I think is that the Wolf Riders reflections were very much sort of in that folk or filk tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, so very, again, kind of traditional and melodic and and very fantasy-oriented. Whereas yeah, like Celtic Oops, sounding. Exactly. Whereas mm-hmm. Slammerkin's music is totally different and it's very modern. Um, you know, it's sort of like electro, lo-fi, pop kind of music, which I think is really refreshing. And I think it's kind right. of a neat example of, you know, how in 2016 – ElfQuest is still inspiring current, modern, you know, sort of pop-oriented uh, music. I think it's really, really neat. I actually love that style of music, so I've been listening to the songs just sort of as part of my regular music. And the other cool thing, well, cool maybe isn't the right word. The other interesting thing is that the uh, the the band um, Slammerkin decided that they, you know, they they specifically wanted to make current modern sounding music mm-hmm. and not have it be too blatantly obvious that it was, you know, inspired by a fantasy comic, not right. because they're ashamed of it, but just, you know, and it's, you know, I kind of think of Led Zeppelin back in the seventies, like working in references to Lord of the Rings. Yeah. That's right? right. It's yeah, kind of the yeah. same thing. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's not completely literal. It's, you know, they're not referencing character names or anything, but it's inspired by. Exactly. Yeah. And if you yeah. read the lyrics or listen to the lyrics, 
you'll see the inspiration. I mean, Definitely. if you're an ElfQuest fan, you'll, you'll, you'll totally get it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that, that intro song was called The Healer, mm-hmm. and it's by a band called Slammerkin, S-L-A-M-M-E-R-K-I-N, one word. And if you guys go onto um, SoundCloud, which is where, uh, the, where we host the ElfQuest Show podcast, you'll be able to find them. Um, I believe we also did uh, you know, some Facebook posts and maybe an ElfQuest homepage post, so that might be another place to, to look um, to track it down, but it should be pretty easy to find. Yeah, well, maybe we can put the links uh, in the uh, synopsis for this episode. Oh, yeah, that's actually so, a great idea. Yeah. And and also to the other um, artist you mentioned. Right, yeah, to Julia yeah. Clark. Yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. We can do that. And and um, and of course, um, Liza, who is you know one half of the Slammerkin duo, wanted wanted to make sure that we let everybody know that, of course, again, this is fan art, and that you know they uh, you know it's totally inspired by Wendy and Richard and all the standard copyright disclaimers, you know, copyright work graphics, all that good stuff that Wendy and Richard have asked us to you know kind of put out there when we put our our fan art in whatever form out there. Um, she wanted to make sure that we said that too, and I'm right sure on. Wendy and Richard will appreciate that um props so, to my fellow canadians that's right yeah yeah for, i think they're out of toronto but originally from regina saskatchewan right which yeah. i of course mispronounced regina <laughs> you corrected me well that's okay because i'm generally the one who's mispronouncing names so yeah. <laughs> can take that one yeah no i told you regina it rhymes with yes that other word yeah. <laughs> um so I, I, before we move on to talking about the new issue um, if you liked the Slammerkin music, we are going to play another song, an unreleased track, at the close of this podcast. So if you, you know, if you are daunted by the fact of listening to what will no doubt be a multiple-hour podcast, hang in there because you'll get a reward at the end. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, before actually we, we talk about the issue, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, I could share a little bit about uh, San Diego Comic Con, yeah. which I just got back from. Yes, and um, you know, again, if you guys are following either the ElfQuest homepage or the multiple ElfQuest Facebook pages, um, I've, I've done some posts about it. If you if you're not, definitely go to ElfQuest.com. I've got well, a a special episode of this podcast, mm-hmm. the last episode we did, um, which was kind of fun because it was completely impromptu. Um, I was with Wendy and Richard at, at San Diego Comic-Con and they um, were attending the Dark Horse Comics party, which, you know, a lot of different companies, you know, do sort of professional parties. And so Wendy and Richard um, got me in an invitation. And so we showed up and we were fashionable. We weren't as fashionably late as we thought we were. So we were one of the first groups of people that were there. And so we were just chit-chatting and you know, and, and Wendy actually said, hey, let's record this. And we did. Awesome. And Thanks, Wendy. Exactly. Yeah. And and I actually I'm so glad that she did, because we you know what you guys heard in that episode when I do get a chance to spend time with Wendy and Richard is largely the kind of stuff that we talk about and it doesn't get recorded. And mm-hmm. so it just goes into my little brain and no one ever knows. So um, so what you heard in that was was really just a very kind of spur of the moment um, conversation, as you can probably tell, because I was pretty much completely unprepared and didn't have any specific questions and couldn't keep my thoughts straight. But at any rate, um, it was really fun and, and cool to be able to do that. And so, you know, I want to thank Wendy and Richard for proposing it and Richard for actually recording it. He he has a, a, a recording app on his iPhone and we literally just sat at the table um, in the, at this party and recorded that until everybody else started showing up. So Wow, that's amazing. I thought you guys were all set up with uh, laptops and mics and stuff. The quality of that was really good for yeah, an iPhone yeah. app. 
I thought so too. I was I was surprised. I downloaded the the app that Richard used mm-hmm. so that you know as I'm on the go, um, you know maybe there's going to be other opportunities to do stuff like that. So yeah, just record all your conversations with. Yeah. Me. <laughs> I don't know how they feel about that, but um, <laughs> but so that was fun. Um, we did that, and, and also remember to be drinking when you do that. Yeah, totally. Well, again, if you listen to the episode, I um, I proceeded straight to martini, and so <laughs> I had had like a martini and a half when we started recording. And um, so, yeah, for whatever yeah. that's worth, <laughs> it was a great, it was a great episode. I'm really glad you guys did that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the the, the I had actually been um, we were at the Dark Horse booth, um, and I was uh, hanging out with Wendy, waiting for her to get get ready to go do her signing, while Richard was kind of wandering the con a little bit. And I brought up the whole idea that we talked about about you know the wave dancers really being. Um, uh, I don't know. I guess the 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 thing that really kind of pushed the envelope into a much wider um, realm of possibility in terms of what the elves are, mm-hmm. and um, and again, you can listen to that whole conversation. But um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the first the wave dancers, and then you know now that we're, you know we're seeing the scary ones, uh, or the hidden ones, or the the strange ones, or whatever the hell you want to call them, because they don't yeah. seem to have a formal name. Um, same thing, you know, they really take the idea of what an elf quest elf is and, you know, blow any preconceived notions out. And I think that's really fascinating. It's a little bit difficult, though, as a longtime fan to kind of wrap my, my mind around it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling sort of... the same way. Wendy referred to them specifically as uh, forest spirits, I think, was the term that she used. Yeah. At one point. Um, yeah which I think is pretty apt in, in describing them because they're, it gives that sense of them being almost formless and constantly shifting. Totally. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I get what you're saying about how it's kind of hard to wrap your head around these, these beings. Yeah. yeah. But yet it's still totally in keeping with the, you know, again, that sort of the bigger archetypal um, idea of, of the, of elfin beings, you know, mm-hmm. and, Across real life human cultures, you see so many different iterations, um, you know, of, of this idea of sort of the 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 others, the you know the the hidden ones or whatever. And sometimes they are, you know, anthropoid, you know, sort of modeled after you know humans, right? They've got heads and arms and you know all that kind of stuff and tangible bodies. And other times they're you know they are uh, ephemeral and they're spirits and they're you know or or they're they're sea spirits. You know, they're the whole idea of of um, you know mermaids and things like that is they're all part of this bigger idea of these sort of other entities that live here and not all of them in the real world again are those solid um, anthropoid you know sort of land dwelling kind of things and so mm-hmm. I, you know it just it's not something that I ever really thought about until really the wave dancers came upon the scene and we kind of learned that not all the elves are they're not just sort of like the same exact base model with a couple different tweaks on the top. Right. Like there's stuff different about them deeper than the skin. Like the wave dancers have gills and they can't, you know, they have to breathe salt water and they have three year gestations instead of two year. Like there are things that are fundamentally different about them physically than like the difference between, you know, a sun villager and a wolf rider. And right. Yeah. Yeah, and scary. Which, just... which they basically have the same form, whereas with the wave dancers, you're right, and even down to things like their gestation period, right? Yeah, the wave dancers are pregnant for three years, whereas exactly. all the other elves we know are only pregnant for two. So that's that's pretty pretty different. Um, so anyway, that yeah. tangent on that, but that was one of the big things that I really enjoyed about having that conversation at um, 
at Comic-Con, which again, everybody can listen to in the uh, the previous episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast, so kind of a special edition. And you can link to that. You can find that um, on the ElfQuest.com homepage. It's, you know, just scroll down there and you'll find the, the link to it. Or of course, just, you know, get to it however you normally get to the podcast. Um, but yeah, otherwise, um, you know, Wendy and Richard did signings of the Dark Horse booth. They did a signing at the Flesk Publications book for the the Kickstarter books, The Art of ElfQuest and the story of uh, Art of the the Story. story. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so that was fun. And Wendy um, sat on a really great panel looking at, um, you know, just sort of, again, women in comics um, with some other really um, important people, important women in the comics business, which was really cool because they were all totally different, you know, sort of almost different generations and different kinds of comics. And it was just mm-hmm. a kind of interesting discussion. And the one that I didn't get pictures of, and so I didn't really write about it in the uh, in the homepage post, was a panel that, um, that John Flesks um, uh, hosted with Wendy and Richard, as well as um, three other independent comic property owners who also do work for the big major comic companies. And the whole theme of the panel was, you know, what is it like to, you know, again, have your own creator owned property that you have self published, um, but simultaneously continue to work with, you know, the big comics companies, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. That was kind of a fascinating discussion, Mm. um, how different people approach that. And um, who else was on that panel? I knew you were going to ask me that um, <laughs> on, on all of their names, um, but you could probably dig it up if you go to like the Comic-Con website um, and um, yeah, and figure it out. Yeah. Um, so, so that happened. That was cool. And, um, you know, lots of really great people coming up and asking questions. I was able to get pictures of lots of folks after they did, they did their signings and everyone was really excited about that. And it really was striking to me at really how diverse the ElfQuest audience is, Um, you know, like every size, shape, color, age, gender, you know, all of that were, were represented and almost equal measure, you know, it wasn't like it was like a bunch of guys and then two women or vice versa or whatever. And it just, I think that's one of the things that makes ElfQuest great. It really does have kind of a universal appeal. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. There's something in it for everyone. Um, you're mentioning this panel, and I was just thinking how Wendy and Richard would probably be the experts as to uh, self-publishers who have worked with the big names, given that they've, I think they're the only ones who have been published by all f- the big four companies, right? Is it the four? Image? I think it's four or three. Oh, no, no. Marvel, DC... Dark Horse, and I think sometimes Image gets thrown in there, which they haven't worked with. No, they haven't. Think. But they've worked with First Comics, which I don't think is in existence anymore. That's who published oh. the Beauty and the Beast um, graphic novels that Wendy did. Mm-hmm. And um, But I don't know if any other independent uh, team has ever worked with those big three houses. I don't think yeah. they have. I think Wendy and Richard are the only ones. Yeah, I don't think so. So I, I just looked it up while we were talking. So the other panelists were mm-hmm. Frank Cho, who oh, yeah. has a, a series called Liberty Meadows. Um, Terry Dodson, um, who has done a bunch of work on Star Wars and X-Men. Um, and then Mark Schultz, who um, yep. I think is most famous for uh, Xenozoic. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has something called uh, Storms at Sea. And so, um, yeah, it was a really great conversation. 
And what was really kind of neat is that the other panelists were talking about Wendy and Richard kind of being an inspiration for them. Um, oh, that's awesome. Because they were, again, maybe just, you know, uh, like the, the next wave after Wendy and Richard kind of, you know, laid the groundwork for creator-owned independent publishing in right. the 80s. So that was kind of neat, too, to see them get a little bit of props for that. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so, kind so it was of, a good time. It was definitely a good time and, um, you know, exhausting and insanity mm -hmm. and, you know, talk to me later if you want to hear me, you know, gripe and moan about trying to get Star Wars exclusive action figures. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, I didn't. So yeah. I had to resort to eBay. Um, but um, so anyway, that was a little quick little recap. And again, if you guys want to read more about it, I've got a couple posts up on the ElfQuest homepage, including um, a post about the special episode of the podcast that we did with Wendy and Richard. Excellent. Yeah. All right. So let's talk Final Quest 15. It is here at last. Yes. Um, we so waited a while for this one. We did, yeah. And I think it was worth it. Um, mm -hmm. it uh, this is a very dynamic issue. There's movement. You know, you read this whole issue and there's this this great sense of movement. Like at this stage of the game, you know, all of the the, the, the players have sort of assembled into their you know, their places and their teams and, and they're all on the move, it seems, you know, kind of converging on, you know, the palace and or the Wolf Riders Halt, mm -hmm. which um, is kind of exciting. But also there's this sense, this uh, this impending sense of, you know, what what's going to come next? Like what's going to happen when everybody gets to where they're going? So there's this tension that I get out of this issue um, mm -hmm. that is building. Is, yeah, that's building, and it's kind of exciting and scary all at once. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, that uh, the chess pieces are being moved into place, and we're reaching sort of the uh, the climaxes upon us. Right, the well, beginning of the, the end. The big be right, the beginning of the end. We're you know we're over halfway through at this point. There's what nine issues left um, of Final Quest, so we've got about what a year and a half left, mm -hmm. which is scary. And, you know, but you know, yeah, I guess we just got to go along for the ride. Yes, we do. Um, yes. So speaking of which, I thought it would be kind of neat to start um, with the, the pages that dark Horse previewed, okay. which I thought was a genius move on their part because they're not the first pages of the issue, which, you know, oftentimes the previews that get released, you know, a couple weeks before the issue comes out, um, you know, feature the first few pages of the issue. But mm -hmm. um, in some cases, and this issue is one of them, it, it, you know, Dark Horse didn't want to give away, um, I guess, important details. And since the issue picks up right where it left off with Cutter's heart circle, you know, basically tracking him down in the clutches of the scary ones, um, I guess they thought if they had shown any of those pages, um, you know, it would give too much away. So instead, yeah. they started with, the, with with Strongbow kind of musing about, you know, what's going to happen if Cutter dies and if Moonshade really goes, like, what is he going to have left to live for? And um, and he sends to Moonshade using the the call as, you know, sort of, I guess, you know, super duper Wi-Fi. And so it, you <laughs> know, the, the elves seem to be able to do that now. They can tap into the call and send to each other anywhere in the world, which mm -hmm. is, A, in and of itself an interesting thing. But, but you know, he's got this conversation with Moonshade and we see that she has gotten to the point of being able to self-shape her her body right. into the form into a sort of a high one form. Mm -hmm. um, 
And, you know, they have this exchange. And again, I, we don't need to, you know, go through it. Everybody who's listening to this has probably read it. But yeah, heartbreaking, you know, again, sort of hitting the hammer on the nail into all of our hearts, you know, with Moonshade wanting to grow into, you know, something new and different that gives her a lot of joy. Strongbow, um, you know, wanting to keep things the way that they were. And both of them, you know, really unable to find any middle ground and both of them are really hurting and it's just yeah it's it's really deep emotional drama going on here Um, right uh and then it turns out um later on in that issue we see moonshade with sava and uh she says you know that the it doesn't feel right for her right now if, if strongbow's not um okay with it i guess it's not it's not doesn't feel like the right thing for her at this time. So, um, yeah. And says it's unbearable. It taints my happiness here. Yeah. And so, so this is why I think it was so genius of dark horse to pick those first two pages because, Hmm. you know, for anybody that was, was online reacting to that when those came out, I mean, it literally, it was like a, just sort of a total punch in the emotional gut for, for a lot of people because it really was just like, it seemed to be so definitive, like Moonshade was like totally committed and doing what she's going to do. Strongbow was equally committed to, you know, kind of digging his heels in and, and, and keeping things the way that they were. But later in the issue, you find out that Moonshade, because of this, is also, you know, having doubts about whether or not this is the path she wants to go on. Um, and that that was something that, A, I didn't really see coming. B, again, I think totally realistic that, that, you know, Strongbow's response to her her wanting to be different would be so impactful on her that, you know, that she might be having second thoughts about it. And, you know, so we see her kind of shape herself back down into, you know, Wolf Rider size. And, and I love the scene, you know, with Sava hugging anything to do with Sava. I just adore. (laughs) And and the longer I read up, quest the more you know I, I feel that way i mean when i was a 10 year old kid reading it i was like oh yeah whatever she's like sort of this cool priestess lady but as i get older mm-hmm. the, like the maternal universal love of sava is just so comforting yeah and you know just her h- hugging moonshade i thought was just really super sweet very different from the type of maternal uh presence that Tamane has yeah you know I don't really think of Tamane as maternal I no think her... neither do I, but just the fact that she's referred to the mother of all and mother yeah. of the wolf riders and um but it's definitely like the warmer maternal feeling is totally. uh, is embodied in Sava yeah and it seems like she knows when that when to utilize that to you know when you know like we saw a few uh, issues ago when Skywise was having trouble understanding why um, Suntop wasn't sending out the call, I think it was, and mm-hmm. Sava was explaining, oh no, it was when when Timane was saying, like, no, we really can't just zip around and collect everybody in, in Palace Pods because, you know, in order for them, for, for the elves to really kind of, like, we could just make their decision for them by going and collecting them. But the point is, is that we came here and we endured... The, all the sacrifices to make sure that our people still had choice and that there's, there's a value in the struggle of trying to, you know, get what you're trying to do. I mean, that's what living is all about. But to because she has this sort of, uh, you know, sort of goddess, like, um, alien, 
alien sort of disconnected you know thing about her she couldn't really explain it as well as sava who was able to sort of you know give a little bit of a softer explanation of that to dumb it down well i don't know if you'd say dumb it down but she was just a lot more empathetic than tamain was tamain was just like no you know sava was like let me explain a little bit you know a little bit more of a kind way yeah and so uh, so I think they're really, you know, Sava is a really good complement to Tamain. But yeah, I think if Tamain is, is maternal, it is in that that goddess sense. Uh, yeah. So the other interesting thing here I noticed is that uh, Moonshade's able to shape herself now, which really clearly shows the influence of the palace upon all the elves. That uh, you know, Moonshade's never shown any sort of magical ability ever. Um, until yeah. now that she's been living in the palace and its influence upon her like she's able to tap into these energies and i think we've heard before that all the elves sort of have that latent ability within them um but the palace just sort of yeah. unlocks that for all of them and now it clearly like any of them if they want to can tap into that and be able to shape themselves because it's not like she's uh having a healer do that for her uh, exactly. She's yeah. not being shaped. She's self-shaping, which is a totally. big deal. I mean, that's. I think it's it, it's a huge deal, right? Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, I think I think you're totally right. I mean, I think it's it's I think all of these elves have in their DNA, you know, this sort of magical ability, and it manifests itself in any number of ways. And in some way, some elves, you know, really focus it in you know on rock shaping or healing. Um, and some elves, you know, living on the world of two moons, that sort of dampens the powers, you know, don't have any manifestation of it at all other mm-hmm. than maybe sending. But once you get into the palace and, you know, again, I kind of think as the palace is a giant battery that charges yeah. these, the, you know, these beings and infuses them um, with, you know, with these magical abilities and Moonshade, um, you know, is doing it. And, and, you know, Wendy posted something in the ElfQuest Facebook fan page uh, in the last week or two, um, something, and she said something about, somebody asked the question, you know, well, why do you have to give up your wolf blood to travel to the stars? And her explanation was something along the lines of, you know, sort of the, the this idea of sort of the hum and the vibration that all living things give off, mm-hmm. um, that, that in order to sort of really tap into the palace and survive in the palace and be able to do what Moonshade is doing, um, immortal elves hum and vibration is sort of at a different pitch than the mortal wolf riders are. Mm-hmm. So it, it, if you follow that out, I don't know if she's suggesting that if any wolf riders do choose to go, that they are going to have to give up their wolf blood the way that Moonshade and Strongbow has done, or, you know, or if they could remain wolf riders and still travel and um, what that would mean. But I thought that was a really interesting little piece of info that, you know, doesn't really get, get dissected or even shared specifically in the story that Wendy shared on Facebook that is, I think just, you know, adds another layer of food for thought on all this. Well, I'm still wondering if, uh, a wolf rider in the palace, uh, if they were in there for a long enough time, um, that the palace would dilute the wolf blood out of them. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, we haven't really been told that that would happen or, uh, we haven't seen that depicted, but I, it's just, you know, something I've been thinking about that it would sort of uh, like cleanse the wolf blood out of them and not even, um, I guess, not consciously. Right. The palace could have a consciousness, which I don't think it does. But you know what I mean? Like it would just be being in the palace. 
it would over time yeah uh, remove the wolf blood out of them yeah i mean we we know that the palace is doing that kind of uh influence in the elves that are living there you know again it's 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 basically subtly changing their bodies to be more like the high ones you mm-hmm. know in a very sort of physical tangible way i mean you know basically they're getting taller the longer they spend time in there and the longer they tap into the you know the palace magic um so we've seen it happen with the sun folk haven't really seen a reference to it with the gobacks but you know they haven't been in there quite as long as the sun folk have but um yeah th- i could see that totally happening if a wolf rider you know, was living in the palace permanently, that it might have that kind of influence on them. Maybe, or not. Yeah. I mean, I know. you know, it's not anything that has, again, been specifically talked about in the story. So, no. um, um, You mentioned the Sunfolk changing, and it looks like in that group shot that Audrey, uh, Suntoucher, and Tura are all a bit taller now, too. For sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, none of, none of them seem to be quite as tall as Saba is. No. Uh, but for sure, they are, are th- those four... Audrey, Moonshade, Suntoucher, and Tura are all taller mm-hmm. uh, than what we have normally seen them. So, um, you yeah, know, actually, and, and longer hair too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it surprises me actually that they aren't the same height as Sava and Tamane. I wonder why that is. Because even looking at Sunstream, he's not quite as tall as yeah. those two. And I'm just wondering what the the reason for that would be. If they're going to, you know, take on these high one forms, why wouldn't they? shape themselves into the full height of a high one is this just maybe it's gradual i don't know yeah i think i think my well my guess would be twofold one that maybe they're just not there yet maybe their their sort of inner abilities and inner connection to the palace isn't as big um as the high ones were and so you know maybe their bodies are not are reflecting that um and the second thing is that it might actually just be a design choice by Wendy. Um, you know, she might want to visually keep Sava and Oric and um, and Tamane just visually different than all the other elves. Um, so you know, mm-hmm. we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I mean, we really haven't seen them. This is really the kind of the first time that we've seen taller elves. Um, you know, kind of standing side by side. So I think by the end, maybe they all will be Sava sized. Yeah. yeah. Possibly. We'll have to wait and see. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, Moonshade is having second thoughts. Um, and it'll be really fascinating to see which way which way she goes. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I really was not expecting that she would have that kind of response. So, um, well, I, I, she can't get her wolf blood back now. So, right. I mean, that's a permanent decision. As far yeah. as we know, as there's far as no we way know. to get your wolf blood back. Right. So, um I don't know how, I mean, she can't really go back in the sense that you can't go back to how it was before. Things have changed regardless of, you know, how they choose to move forward. Totally, yeah. And I think that's 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 kind of what is so emotionally gripping about this is that, um, you know, Moonshade feels this, you know, sort of a really deep, need to do what she's doing but at the same time she also still completely loves strongbow and it's like those two things they're 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 happening equally powerfully simultaneously even though they're at odds with each other and that's just so true to life you know i mean mm-hmm. that happens in real life all the time it's like sometimes you have to make decisions that you're really excited about but in equal measure suck 
<laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's like the complexity of this storyline. And, and again, that's just sort of like the weighty reality of it in a fantasy comic is just kind of kind of awesome. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see how this uh, this storyline sort of um, plays out and how it um, how it ends essentially with their relationship. Uh, yeah. It's been a major part of Final Quest so far, and you know we've seen it the ups and downs of this decision that Moonshade's made and how it's affected um, her entire life, including her relationships. Uh, so just to see it how it finally plays out ultimately will be really interesting. Yeah. Well, and a couple other thoughts on it, too, is is, you know, it's been hinted at as far back as dream time and in Strongbow and Moonshade's dream. They have this sort of nightmare where, you know, they 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 lose each other and there's only one left. Mm-hmm. And the, here's the question, though, because, you know, people I've seen people say, well, we know that they're not going to end up together because the dream. But what if the dream is hinting at this stage of the story? Hmm. Where Strongbow is like having this realization, like I really do feel like I'm losing you, and I and you know he's feeling utterly alone. He's he feels like he lost her. Maybe the dream got us to this point in the story in Final Quest, and who knows what else will happen in the, the you know the last third of it that is yet to be told. That's really interesting that you bring up that dream in Dreamtime because now that I'm thinking of that, did they have uh, some? prior knowledge that this would happen to the relationship and uh were they prepared for it in any way how did they interpret that dream between themselves i think i think that what dream time is all about is is the elves being able to tap into you know subconsciously the fact that like time doesn't exist in the world of the palace Mm -hmm. and that there are all of these threads of realities that may or may not come to pass and so you take that psychic ability tapped and tap that, you know, couple it with the anxieties of a mortal being and in some cases an immortal being. And that's what you get with dream time. So I don't know that they have any, like, I don't, I think Wendy and Richard have said like, no, they weren't reading the future and it wasn't precognition or anything like that um, per se. And I don't think that they would have really otherwise dwelt on it. You know, I don't think that the two of them have been, spending the last what 50 60 years since the events of dream time thinking about it um mm-hmm. and they probably don't even remember the dream at this point in the, in, in the game you know mm-hmm. so hmm. i would just think that something that profound that dream i mean it was pretty clear to us as readers that they were going to end up separated and one of them would be alone um that that would you know have some bearing upon their relationship at the time and well but, you know, maybe but, but think about it, think about this i mean they probably have had a million dreams together and separately of one or the other of them dying or you know in some way shape or form of them separating you know the dream didn't specify that it was because moonshade wanted to go to the stars no you know so so for them for either for any wolf rider to have just sort of you know an anxiety a dream about losing someone you love probably wouldn't be that noteworthy of of you know any kind of deep reflection beyond the moment when you remember the dream and then by the end of the day you've forgotten it. Well, it was noteworthy enough for them to share it though with the go-backs, right? It seemed pretty important at the time. Right, at the time. I yeah. think at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they weren't even sharing it to be like, oh my God, look what's going to happen to us. They were only they only shared it because they were trying to prove to Scott and Krim that they weren't, you know, these like 
you know, stuffy, uptight, whatever, and that they were prepared to open themselves up to anybody willing to accept it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it wasn't the point wasn't even, oh, my God, look what's going to happen to us. So I don't I don't hmm. get the sense that they thought about it that way. It was just like, here's a dream that we had that shows the depth of our love for each other and the fear that we have of losing each other. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, in the moment, again, to me, they probably forgot about it by the end of that day. Probably. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh but in that day, maybe they went, wait a second, what's going to happen to us? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. But it, if they have, it obviously is not something that has stuck with them based on what we're seeing in Final Quest. No, it hasn't been brought up in any way. So yeah. um, mm-hmm. so going back to that page, since we're on it, the, the, the bottom part of that page of, you know, uh, of Moonshade um, uh, sharing with Sava that she's having sort of doubts and second thoughts about her path, mm-hmm. you know, we have this conversation in the uh, in the mystical pa- palace mirror that shows the uh, the visage of the of the person you're sending to, um, Sunstream is you know kind of communing with. It's like Skype. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and you know they're they're having this conversation about you know asking this question like what happens when life mates one chooses one way and one chooses the other. And Brill is really kind of concerned and upset about it. And Sunstream is a little bit, I guess, more accepting, stoic maybe, um, and is just saying, you know, whatever happens, it needs to be the individual's choice. And we need to respect that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting it, how this sort of mirrors uh, the other relationships happening. I mean, he even he references, obviously, Lita and Cutter. So the f- the fact that you know these two might be separated yeah actually um and then moonshade and strongbow might be separated and uh cutter and lita it's possible you know totally. so yeah. mm-hmm. all mean, of the all of these relationships are sort of mirroring each other yeah and i think it goes even beyond just sort of like mates too i mean it's it's what prompts it is and we can dive into this is is what happens with the wave dancers in this issue is, you know, Brill sort of being really upset that the wave tan- that the wave dancer tribe is 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 splitting up. You know, we what we learn in this issue is that Salt and Spray, the two oldest um, wave dancers, have chosen to go to the palace, mm-hmm. and give up life on the world of two moons. And that's what prompts Brill um, you know, sort of expressing this anxiety to Sunstream. Um, so it'll be really interesting again to see how it all plays out, but, um, shifting to the wave dancers. Mm -hmm. Um, I am completely in love with this panel of spray with her mermaid tail. Mm -hmm. This golden tail that she has. Yeah. Totally gorgeous. It is like totally art nouveau, totally, you know, line of beauty, it's just exploding off the page. Yeah, it's it's line of beauty overload for totally. sure, right? It's <laughs> like it's multiple S curves happening in there. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I really, I think we've talked about this before, but I just love the way that Wendy renders Spray's hair. hair. Mm-hmm. It's curly, but it's like kinky curly and mm. just totally not like the other depictions of elf hair. And I love the just those little unique details that... Um, that these characters have that Wendy and Richard can kind of infuse into them so that, you know, you can look at anybody and know exactly who it is. There's never confusion 
over which elf is which. Exactly. Um, I was a little confused, though. Maybe you can explain this to me. I don't really understand what's going on with the um, the tails and the legs. So Salt uh, has been given legs. He had a tail. And right. then Spray's been given a tail when she had legs. So I don't really understand why they need to do that. Yeah, so I, th- I, I, I was a little confused too from reading this okay what i think is that um that reef who we're finally getting to see you know him him manifesting his his yeah sort of his vein of healing magic which really does seem to be much more obviously sort of uh channeled towards shape changing um first he you know he just he he kind of came into his full fruition and his full healing um his completeness when he learned to shelf sit self-shape himself into his monster reef form and now we're seeing him able to work on his tribe mates and so what i think is going on here is he basically has has shaped given um given salt legs mm-hmm. and given spray a tail mm-hmm. but that that's just to show that like he's he's he could shape them but one way or the other okay and so i think the idea is that you know, let's both have tails so we can swim more swiftly across the ocean and then we'll shape change into legs once we reach the land and, and be together. You don't see that because they're under their lower halves are under the water for the rest of the panels. So like we don't know what they have as they're traveling across the water, the ocean. But um, I think that's what's going on there. I think the idea is that Reef is shaping them back and forth. And then ultimately, when they get to the palace and they you know, learn it, they'll be able to take on whatever form they want. Yeah, you know what? I'm looking at the very last panel on the next page, and they're in silhouette, and if you zoom in, it looks like there are two bodies with tails. You know, I'm looking at my hard copy, uh-huh. so... Get your magnifying glass. <laughs> it's a little Old hard school. to discern, but, uh, yeah. Well, the only thing that I was... Uh, do you ever just a total side note but this is the influence of technology do you ever have moments where you try and zoom in on hard copies with your fingers (laughs) because i do that all the time now and i catch myself doing it and i I probably hell i probably have yeah yeah i thought you were gonna say do you ever have moments where you zoom in on the art i'm like Duh. No, I mean, like, <laughs> zoom in on the, the hard copy comic. Like, oh, I want to look closer and, like, try and zoom in. Oh, yeah. wait, this is not... Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever done that on, on a hard copy, but uh, I've seen people do it, so... Um, so yeah. So anyway, I think I think that's that's the idea that they're gonna you know utilize the speed that they can get with a tail to mm-hmm. swim across the ocean, um, and then when they get to the land, Reef will reshape them into having legs. And he was basically just practicing on them before they left their on their journey, just to but, see if he could do it. Essentially, right. okay, that makes sense. And yeah. for them to practice in their new form, you know, I mean, who knows how long Salt has had a tail and not legs, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed so, a comment on Facebook. Somebody asked how Salt could join yeah <laughs> when he had to tell you saw that too right wendy said something is hidden attributes or... yeah you gotta, you gotta love fans i mean this is, <laughs> I it's the next person but it's like it's, yeah. yeah so the answer is simple most marine mammals and reptiles and fish do not have external genitalia but that doesn't mean they don't have it mm-hmm. so when reef isn't or when salt is in fish form and now spray in fish form they have parts they're just internal so there's a space that opens up and you can get all your business done. And yeah, 
So, <laughs> um, but here, here was the thing that was a little bit, seemed a little bit off to me about this scene is that okay. if, if the point of having both of them having fishtails was so that they can swim more uh, speedily across yeah. the ocean, which is what Spray says, then wouldn't the fact that they had Skimback and Corifei and Reef with them to swim across the ocean defeat that purpose? Because they don't have tails. Uh, well, my guess is that um, Reef in his kaiju form, because that's what I'm calling it. You know, yeah. You know that term, right? Yep. yep. Japanese monsters. Monster. Totally. Um, that he's holding on to those two, or they're latching on to him. Because he's obviously, the, I think he's the most powerful swimmer out of all of them in that form. I would imagine, yeah. All right, so I'll, I don't I'll think totally they, need, I don't think they need to um, have tails. Okay, just I for love that it. reason. That's my that's my in story explanation in my head. I, I I would totally buy that. I think that that sufficiently answers it and puts aside any questions that I had about it. <laughs> um, speaking of reef, though, yeah, it is really neat now that we're seeing him come into his power not only as a self shaper but as a shaper so he can yeah. uh, change other people's forms as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's, um, well, again, it's, you know, it's, it's something that, again, we've talked about a lot before is, is, you know, how Wendy and Richard have taken everything that's gone before, mm-hmm. um, especially the nineties era stuff that, um, you know, much of which was created by other folks and how they have taken what, um, you know, what they feel is, you know, needs to be part of the canon and that works within the way that they want to tell ElfQuest and they've woven it into the final quest. So, you know, when we first got Reef's backstory in the Wave Dancer standalone series, it was that he was a healer. And then, you know, when when Wendy and Richard kind of took over the Wave Dancers full time, back, what, 10 years ago when they were with DC Comics and they were telling the story of the Discovery um, and then into the, ser- well, the first The Searcher and the Sword, then the Discovery, and then ultimately, you know, now with Final Quest with Dark Horse, the way that they've treated Reef is that he's not really a healer because they've already got two healers. They've got um, Skimback, who is a traditional healer, and you've got um, Snakeskin, who is, his power manifests itself more to shaping and growing corals and such, but he can do traditional stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like story-wise, do we really need a third healer? Right. So this is, you know, we're kind of seeing again another example of Wendy and Richard taking that idea of Reef as a healer and making it work for them in the way that they want to tell ElfQuest. So I think yeah. that's just awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I agree. Can we talk about how much I love Spray again? <laughs> sure i just think she's awesome she's like the quintessential mermaid she's beautiful i love her like little design her her jewelry like check out her earring Mm -hmm. like i can't decide if it looks like you know like a fish person or maybe like a sea turtle or a seal being looked at in silhouette from above or below yeah i it's funny you should mention that because when i saw that uh, too i was looking at it it looked sort of vaguely humanoid in form so i was thinking oh is that a what is that yeah, yeah what is that and like again the fact that wendy is drawing these details mm-hmm. and every single time she has to portray these characters i mean she's a mad woman <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely i mean my god the um, amount of detail yeah so Crazy. so the- the last thing that I, I just I really love is this panel um, where they're talking to where Salt and Spray are talking to Snakeskin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're saying like, 
you know, we're leaving and it's amazing, but we're not totally joyous about it because we're we're leaving you guys. And and Snakeskin just says like like such a quintessentially ElfQuest line. And he says, you know, why shouldn't you be buoyant with joy? Why should wave dancers not also be star dancers? Mm -hmm. Right. And like that to me is just sort of the embodiment of the spirit of ElfQuest of the, you know, just sort of choosing to to um, embrace the positive and let that be the guiding force and the dominant thing um, versus choosing to focus on the negative mm-hmm. and let that sort of eat away at you and ruin the good anyway. I don't know. I just, I thought that was a really powerful line. Absolutely. Uh, very much in keeping also the whole idea behind, um, we've talked about this before, like are the various tribes going to be essentially lost once they all come to the palace? Um, you know, like, are the go-backs still going to be go-backs? Yeah. Or, uh, but in this case, you know, snakeskin snake saying, like, you don't lose your your identity when you get there. You can still be wave dancers. Yeah, I mean. when I you get to the palace. What I would imagine is that, yeah, you're never going to lose your heritage, right? But you mm-hmm. might grow into something new. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what this is is kind of getting at. That, yeah, like, the Sun Villagers... And increasingly, the go-backs are really kind of being called and thought of as the palace dwellers now. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that, you know, deep down, they like that's not where they come from. Like, that will never go away. Right. You know? Um, I, I'm curious to see, actually, uh, when Salt and Spray get to the palace, uh, how much they change. If they completely give up their wave dancer forms or if like, they're going to install a pool in the palace or <laughs> water pool. I have to guess that they're going to need to reshape themselves to be fully air breathers because I mean I can't imagine them having like you know like an aquarium in the palace where they live you know and not being able to move outside of that I mean they did that with Winnow Will but to imprison her mm-hmm. you know so I can't imagine that they would choose to live their life in a cage, if you will. Right. Um, so in order to, if, if, if as um, Longfin says, like you can't survive without breathing salt water, then they're going to have to change that about themselves. I think now getting at your, your first, your, you know, your original point here about like, will they cease being wave dancers? What a fascinating thing to explore and I don't know that we'll get the page time on this within the final quest, but something to think about, and maybe a great subject for fan fiction, um, is you know what happens when you're a wave dancer that chooses to go to the palace and maybe you know by necessity has to reshape themselves into an air breather and live a, a what is essentially a terrestrial life. How do you cope with not being in the water and and existing the way that you? the only way that you know Uh Uh, now now as i was saying that if you're in space then maybe you know being in a gravityless environment is really little different than being in an ocean environment in terms of floating you know that kind of thing so that would be kind of an interesting thing to explore but Hmm. but yeah i mean there's still going to be wave dancers and you're not going to take away the you know however many you know tens of thousands of years that these two have been alive living in the ocean you know, like you, that doesn't yeah. erase just because you show up in the palace. Right. So I'm, I, I would imagine that there's going to be some struggle. I would think so. I'm just thinking this. I, I don't know if this would ever be explored, but if you want to take 
shape changing down to like the neurological level, you could probably just switch up the way your brain processes your environment and make it so that living terrestrial a terrestrial existence isn't an issue for you. Yeah, that's Do you know what I'm saying? Like if your if your entire experience and the way your brain is um wired is to live within a water environment, couldn't right. you just change your brain so that it would be fully adapted to and and not feel sort of any um bad effects from living on the land? I think if you take the logic of elves being, you know, their 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 quote unquote magic um, really being just a way of manipulating matter and energy um, and that applied to a body that that does apply equally to neurological processes as it does sort of like growing cells on, you know, to heal a wound. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it also s- seems really um, like almost like lobotomy or something. I don't yeah, think, exactly. Like, yeah. Like it does. feeling sad. Let's drill a hole in your brain. Yeah, Sadness yeah. will go right away. <laughs> doesn't seem like something the elves would do. I don't know. <laughs> no, it doesn't really. Although I think it would be tempting, though, in a lot of cases. I mean, if it was that easy just to change everything about yourself, you could probably change yourself down to that level, the neurological level. If I'm yeah. feeling sad, I'm just going to shape change my brain wiring so that I don't have to feel sad anymore. Right. The although synapses are firing, you know? Yeah. Although, you know, it's interesting to think about because, you know, we know with both Winnowill and maybe to a degree Two Edge, like... Lita has said there's only really so much you can take, like a healer can take it before the individual has to do the work themselves, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so that could be interpreted maybe a few different ways. Like maybe you could force them into that kind of healing, but, and, and maybe what Lita is saying is that I could do it, but like, I'm not going to do it because if I do it, it'll just create more problems. So therefore Winnowell has to heal herself. At this stage, yeah. that's um, really interesting that you said that because it sort of lends credence to this whole idea of the elves all having these latent abilities within them for um, magic, uh, including healing. So the healers themselves are almost just sort of a catalyst or a key, as it were, to sort of open up those powers that the elves all have within them as sort of a latent power. Right. Well, I mean, I wasn't even thinking about it in terms of sort of like a magical type healing. I was thinking in Winnowill's case more of like doing the hard work to deal with your issues, just like we would in the real world. Oh, right. Like, you know, yeah. but but either applies, you know, yeah. I mean, if if the point is, is that they have to participate in in it in order for it to really be effective and to stick. And even if you could force it, which maybe you could, it wouldn't really achieve what you were hoping for because if you forced it, it might do more damage than good. Mm-hmm. Which, speaking of which, let's just jump right onto that big reveal on the last page. Okay. So, you know, speaking of elves that maybe, um, you know, black-hearted elves that maybe need a little bit of healing, we finally get confirmation that good old door, the male door, the you know former door of glider. Of Blue Mountain, mm-hmm. and and good old fish poking chot are still alive. Yeah. And well, you and I both knew the that, that was Dor. What's Remember, that? You and I both knew that it was him when we saw that reveal. Uh, it back in what issue eight? I totally. Think but I've been certain of other things, only to have 
you know, my know-it-allness completely blown out of the water. So <laughs> I don't take anything for granted. Okay. I thought it was door. Yeah. You know, and, and, but you know, Wendy and Richard were not saying anything. So, no. you know, when that happens, then I know just, you know, to just wait and see because yeah. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's really uh, it's exciting to see him. So we know that they're coming back into play in the story. Uh, somebody's missing, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how surprising that is. That Jackal's yeah. not involved, but uh, yeah. we'll just leave it at that. We'll just leave it at that. And <laughs> you know, I will go on the record yet again saying that um, I hope he's in the belly of some giant reptile in the first <laughs> That's the last we'll hear of him. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, but you know this. The, you know, a little bit. Of, there's what. There's three panels here of of door and chot, and they're really interesting. Um, a, they're kind of cool because you know door is as rendered by Wendy um, is really creepy. You know, he's got this sort of sallow, yellow gray, you know, maggot colored skin mm-hmm. from you know living underground or wherever he's been living. And, you know, just sort of these sort of beady black eyes that are almost, you know, don't really have an iris. Just just the the character design really speaks volumes about the temperament and position that this character is actually going to play in the story, Mm -hmm. which I think is kind of neat. And um, but Chot, I I think, is equally fascinating because he's obviously, again, sort of been enslaved by Dor. Um, I mean, he even calls him a slave. But, um, you know, and, and doors like, you know, quit struggling or, I'll, you know, I'll crush your nuggets between two boulders. <laughs> and what I think is so cool is that Chot immediately thinks fish poker, you know, like yeah. this is the, the Chot that we all know and love or know and hate in some cases. But, you know, like he's still kind of, uh, you know, a, a, a body irreverent go back. But he doesn't say that out loud. He, he acquiesces. He says, all right, all right. So. I just think that's really interesting. And I think it's telling that, you know, Chot is going along with this and he's mm-hmm. willing, like maybe he's not, maybe he's got something up his sleeve. Maybe he's not just completely being subjugated and in terror for his life. Um, I, I don't know. I could be totally off the mark with it, but it just, it's what I thought about when, when, when he thinks, you know, like, you know, you, you, you jerk, you fish poker, you whatever, but he doesn't say it out loud. What he says out loud is something to sort of, you know, succor uh, egg into sort of not hurting him. Exactly. Yeah. So obviously, uh, he is powerless in this dynamic between the two of them. Um, I mean, I, I would assume that there were moments. I, I, we don't even know how he was captured by Dor and how this all came about. Um, but knowing Chad, I would think he would have fought back at some point, and obviously, he was unsuccessful in that. Um, and and was. Uh, you know he's been beaten down. He's a, he's essentially a slave to Dora at this point. He's got a rope tied around his neck, so right. he's powerless in this situation. So obviously, yeah, he's you know sort of acquiescing, like you say, to whatever Dora wants. Um, so I I'm assuming here that these two have been traveling. It says that Dora's answering the call. Right. Um, we don't know for how long they've been. 
doing this for. I mean, it could be possible that they were in the forever green for the last 10 years and Chot was a slave to Dor and all of a sudden Dor's now decided he's going to go to the palace for whatever reason. It says he's answering the call with no noble purpose in mind. Right. Um, so going out on a limb here, I'm going to think it's the same deal that, you know, Winnowill wanted the palace was for its power. So he's going to sort of step into that role, as it were, and, and maybe try and uh, uh, gain control over the palace. Um, so that will be pretty interesting to see how this all plays out. It's funny, though, I, I'm thinking that, you know, this late in the game, we have what amounts to an elfin villain suddenly showing up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that will it's sort of to, to see this happening now at this stage in the story. Uh, that will be interesting to see. Yeah, you know, it is. It, it, I'm very intrigued by this. And again, I, I kind of love hate that Wendy and Richard stuck it on the last page because I want to know more like right now. I don't have to wait two months. But um, yeah, it'll be really interesting because I think um, I think you could make door, you know, sort of hungry for the palace's power. But I think on some level that that's almost like a repeat of what we've already, you know, seen with Winnowill already. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder if Wendy and Richard are thinking of something, to- you know, thinking up something totally different that, you know, maybe still is, 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 is in the vein of sort of trying to use the palace's power. But, um, you know, what, you know, if they're going to come up with something that um, skews that or does something different with it so that it's not just a repeat, it's not just a sort of Winnowill 2.0. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe that's what it will be. And I think that that could be totally fine too. But, um, you know, like why, why is he having Chad as his slave? Like, why is he dragging him, you know, across literally the planet? Cause last we saw them, they were in the forever green. So that's pretty far away. They've got to travel essentially from one continent to another, you know, up from the Sunhold continent up to the ice hold continent. So, I guess we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, but this will be very interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. And for the record, I always like Chot. Um, I think that Chot, um, I think it, it, it was really nice to see an elf that, you know, wasn't sort of this big baddie, you know, evil queen, magical villain archetype, but one that was a little bit more lowbrow, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think that maybe, you know, like much of the Forever Green story that got a little bit off kilter, um, how he was handled in that story just was just, again, a, a little off. Um, but, you know, the core of the character, again, this sort of, you know, this go back, not terribly, you know, sort of intellectual, but, you know, good hearted. And, um, you know, it didn't even bother me the you know, sort of the repetition of the idea that he liked to eat. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, so I'm kind of glad, I'm glad he's back and I'm yeah, really excited to see again, what Wendy and Richard do with him now that they are weaving him back into their own tale, telling it the way that they want to tell it. Mm-hmm. It will, I, I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing him reuniting with the go backs, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and how that all comes about. And, uh, and then again with door showing up, um, at the palace, uh, and encountering not only Orek. Um, but also potentially win a will, uh, within Rayek. We'll see. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about Rayek cause he's, okay. you know, we've talked about Strongbow Moonshade. We've talked about the wave dancers. Um, so Rayek is in like full blown dick mode in this, in this issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is. Right. Yeah. I mean, do not yell at Ekwar. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no, n- unacceptable. I mean, yeah. yeah. And, and so, you know, uh, Ekwar hits the nail on the head. He's like, I used to be able to get him to listen to me, but Winnowill is really getting under his skin, you know, literally and yeah, yeah. and and just making him a cranky jerk, even mm-hmm. more so than he normally is. Hmm. Um, and so uh, I think, you know, and then, and then good old Two Edge shows up doing what he typically does, which is like try to make things better, but like for all the wrong reasons. And he's probably just going to mess it up even worse. Um, yeah. You know, he's trying to redeem himself to Venka who just literally read him for filth for creating guns and giving them to the humans, which the humans are now, you know, using to kill elves. And instead of, you know, I don't know, like accepting and the responsibility um, and saying, you know what, I really did screw up and, you know, I didn't know that this was going to happen, but maybe like, let's figure out how I can use my talent to help mitigate this. Instead, what he does is, you know, because Venka is worried that Rayek is going to get shot and Winnowell is going to get out. So his solution to all of this is to go and put Rayek in a cage so that he can't go get himself killed, as if that's going to solve the problem of guns in the world of two moons, right? So Yeah. It I know. That's what I was thinking. Like, Ekwar, I don't think that's the best plan that you got here. Uh... Well, yeah. I mean, the plan of just trapping Rayek is probably a foolish one, but <laughs> what else are they going to do? I suppose, yeah. Um <laughs> <laughs> Two Edge throws his uh, his hammer, yeah, at him, hitting him right in the head. Yeah, which which I like that moment. I was like, yes, you you had it coming. <laughs> yeah, he did definitely. Um, and then Ekwar says, "I'll brain you with my staff." Right. <laughs> oh, but he's that's it. Yeah, that's what he says to Two Edge. Yeah, uh, everybody got sort of uh, out of control in these yeah. panels. Everybody's losing it. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's definitely not going to make Rayek very happy, what's going on here. Um, Ekwar trapping him, his feet in stone, and then Petal Wing trying to wrap him up and yeah. wrap stuff. This is I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually a little bit nervous for the three of them. Well, we've seen the cover of the next issue, too, and we know that it, it looks like Winnow Will's completely taking over. So that's right. not going to be good. Yeah, and I mean, we know that, you know, when he channels her power through his own that he can do these like big power blasts. So uh, not that he would harm Ekwar even in a rage, but I just, I don't see anything good coming out of this scenario. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rick's still, you know, wondering to himself here how, you know, he can sort of heal Winnowill and if his love is enough for her and, and once they're healed, he can, go back to the palace and become master again. Of course he's thinking that, right? Right. He Which, never learns. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like as, as if, right. I mean, yeah, when like, he's just going to march in there and be like, okay, I'm the boss here now. You know, it was one thing to do when the palace was sort of in, in hibernation and no one else was there. And you, you know, I think earned your place as master. Cause you went in and you, were the first reawakened kind of re- it. help reawaken it. I mean, the gliders really did that. Right. They couldn't yeah. have done it without Ray. So. No, exactly. So, but, but this idea, like, well, I could go back and be mad. No, I don't think so. <laughs> I like but, generally, but I really think he's just being an ass. Yeah. I there's okay. There's part of me that goes, okay, this is quintessentially Rayek that he's still wanting to be master of the palace. Um, and then there's another part of me that goes, I thought he, he maybe learned something the last time he tried all of this 
I don't know how much he's really grown. It felt like he had after Kings of the Broken Wheel. He mm-hmm. had sort of, you know, learned a little bit and maybe had a bit of um he definitely had his come up but uh internally it seemed like he had learned a bit of a lesson, you know, about about power. Yeah. Um but here we're right back into it again where it seems like all of the lessons that he learned prior are forgotten now. So Well, you know, it's like the way I think of it is this. I do think Rayek has grown and I do think that he's learned lessons um, you know, in the moment of those lessons being learned. But, you know, if you're if you're a bear and, you know, you you eat a piece of, you know, spoiled meat and you get sick, you know, in the moment you're going to be like, oh, I'm not going to eat that again. But like, you know, two years down the line, if you put a piece of raw meat in front of that bear, it's going to eat it. Mm-hmm. And I kind of feel like it's the same thing with Rayek. Like he has been presented with this challenge, i.e., you know, earning, forcing whatever, you know, Winnow will to love him so that then he can release her spirit and they can be connected and his stubbornness to do anything other than that, you know, like that's, that's like, that is a, an irresistible challenge for somebody of Rayek's temperament and mindset. Mm -hmm. So even if he's learned stuff in the past, like he, like it's, it's totally within his character to, to respond exactly the way that he's responding. Hmm. It's like totally Rayek to do what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as from my point of view, so um, and, that makes uh, him extremely dangerous. Then, I mean, if he totally. goes through these trials and he doesn't change after having learned these lessons, um, then you know, there's always the potential that he can his quest for power, his thirst for power, which is what this is. Um, you know, it could uh, spell disaster for everyone else. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I would call this as thirst for power. I mean, certainly, you know, expressing a wish to want to want to be master of the palace could be could be that. Right. Um, but I think it was in Rayek's case, it's it seems to be more the sort of a quest to be right. Hmm. Like what I think the the fundamental issue at hand here is that will is not agreeing with him and it pisses him off. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's like, I know that like you could return my love and this could be a great thing. I know it. So but deep down, the only reason he wants her to return his love is so that he doesn't have to hold her prisoner anymore and he can become master of the palace again. I, f- I feel like he doesn't even know what love is because his whole idea of love is centered around the idea of power. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, that's Rayek's version of love, right? I mean, mm, it's I think he, control I, of I another. He he wants to. I mean, as much as we would like to see Winnow will be healed, um, Rayek does too, but only for his own benefit. Ultimately, well, no, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I agree with that. I think I think Rayek loves Winnow will in in a very Rayek kind of way. I, like, I think why he, does he love her? He loves her because she represents. The, what he has always striven for, strove for in his life, which is a return to the old ways, a rebirth of his people, you know, embracing magic and, you know, leaving the planet, right? And and Winnow Will has those same goals and she has the, uh, you know, sort of the backbone to follow up on them in a way that literally no other elf 
Ken or, you know, and so I could see like Rayek loves her for those things. Now, are those particularly great traits? Probably not. But I think it's like I think there's more going on there than just him saying, I want to you to love me so I can let you go so that I can go be in charge of the palace again. See, I think I think that he thinks he loves her, but he well, he doesn't a- act. It, he loves her. Um He's in love with the idea. Yes. Yeah. I certainly. But he doesn't actually love her. It's a warped form of love that makes sense to him. You know, it's not love that I would ever want, you know, or. Well, how can, I mean, it's this weird, abusive relationship that he has. And I mean, I can't really blame him either for wanting to. Uh, you know, have her healed. I mean, she's trapped inside of him and she's extremely dangerous. So obviously that must be a total, uh, you know, well, except, except awful. Yeah. But except deep down, he doesn't I think Rayek likes it. Rayek likes being able to be the martyr and to be able to say like, I'm saving my people. Look what I'm doing. I'm so special. Yeah. Well, yeah. Rayek is ego. Im- right. You know, the embodiment of ego. That's what Rayek is. He's a walking ego. <laughs> That's all he is, really. I mean, it's just... Yeah. It's totally. all about him. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's how I see it. I, I actually, I don't think that he really is in love with her. He's He thinks that he is. Right. And he's in love with the idea of being in love with her. But I don't think that they actually, he actually is. Right. Well, certainly, again, not love as like most people think of it, where you you know, are willing to do things and sacrifice and, um, you know, enjoy, get pleasure out of the other person, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think <laughs> there's really nothing that would indicate that definition of love between the two of them ever. I mean, oh. even when they were getting physical pleasure from each other, Winnowill was just manipulating him and he knew absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's all power plays between yeah. those two. That's it. It's not love. I, yeah, I think you can just boil it down to saying, like, they're really fucked up. <laughs> yeah, essentially, that's what it comes down to. Um, so, you know, I always love, um, you know, nods back to, you know, Elf Quest of Yore. And so I also like this scene because, you know, you get to see Two Edge and um, Ekwar, you know, who who back in the Siege of Blue Mountain days when they were both living in the palace for those three years, you know, kind of forged a little bit of a friendship. And, you know, this is obviously... 10,000 plus years later, at least for two edge, but, uh, mm-hmm. they, they, they sort of make an, uh, uh, a, a nice little odd couple, if you will. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, also a little callback to, um, the first few issues of the series. I forget which one it was, but, uh, maybe three, uh, where Rayek, um, uses his, um, powers to stun, an oh, animal yeah. before he kills it, right? And we see yeah. that here with the deer. I was surprised, though, to see him say how hunting is such a bore. I mean, in that respect, he's changed. Because when he was chief hunter of the Sun Villagers, it seemed to be something that he took pride in. And uh, well, that's just enjoyed it. to some extent. But now he's saying it's a bore, you know? So that really uh, proves to me how little value this the world of two moons holds for him now it's really lost all meaning for him he can't wait to get off of the world of two moons and go to the stars right he's done with yeah the world of 
two moons. Well, I mean, I think we've known that since Kings of the Broken Wheel. Yeah, but this just sort of underlines that. Like, yeah. the, the fact that even hunting bears absolutely no interest to him whatsoever. Well, but, but here's the thing. Hunting was only a source of pride for him and something that interested him in as much as it could give him a you know uh the adoration and 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 a specialness among the sun villagers there's that you know again right right that's yeah yeah i don't think he ever enjoyed the act of hunting he enjoyed being like the the chief hunter of the sun of the sun folk Mm, and then the wolf riders showed up and right served that from him right because they were master hunters and they didn't need special powers to do it exactly yeah yeah. so So, that that lost all meaning yeah you're probably probably right yeah Uh, a couple other things that I love about this scene. Um, one is, um, well, I love the colors, the sunset colors, mm-hmm. you know, as they're standing on the edge of the woods, um, you know, sort of on the edge of the plains that are between the Forbidden Grove and Blue Mountain. Um, you know, you can see this sort of the sunset glow um, as it happens throughout the scene. Like when you first see them, you know, it's still sort of a blue sky. And then as Rayek is out hunting, you know, the sunny has changed the background colors to be sort of a, you know, kind of a pink late afternoon and then sort of a deep red orange sunset. And I just thought that was really neat. Like, you didn't have to do that. You could have just had a blue sky the whole time or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was neat. Um, yeah. I really love the panel of of Equar sitting there talking to um, Petalwing. Um, I just love Equar and I love his current outfit that Wendy has given him. And so, you know, we kind of see this full body shot of Equar sitting there with pedaling on his knee. And yeah, I just think, I think it's great. Um, I want to see Equar with that hat on though. With, with, with which hat? The hat that's around his neck. That's a oh, hat. Oh, like the hood. The yeah, hood. The hood, yeah. The hood, the hood, the hood. Yeah. 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 Actually, I would love to see that too. Speaking yeah. of which, um, you know, astute readers have probably noticed that Equar has a notch in his ear. Uh-huh. And you know, when, when they first reappeared in Final Quest, like I saw that and and my mind just sort of was like, oh, yeah, that's always been there. But you just never really see it because he's always wearing a hat. And I ended up for some reason I was, you know, reading through like a back issue or whatever. And I noticed um, in the the go back war in the original quest scenes, you do see him without his hat on during the orgy scene mm-hmm. and he does not have a nick in his ear. So I ended up mm. flipping through Siege of Blue Mountain and Kings of the Broken Wheel um, up to the time of the final quest and um, – or the end of Shards, which is really the last time that we saw saw him. Mm-hmm. And his, his ear is not nicked. So that nick happened sometime since – you know, the end of shards when Rayek went out on his own with Winnow Will Spirit and when they reappear in the final quest. So, um, mm. you know, just like what Bearclaw had a notch in his ear, mm-hmm. Hunter Skyfire had the tip of her ear cut off, just like Equar. You know, there's some delicious adventure backstory lurking in there that will probably never be told, but just knowing it's there, I thought was a, you know, again, Wendy telling the story of her characters visually without ever making a verbal reference to them is kind of awesome. Poor Equar, he just keeps losing body parts <laughs> one after the other, eh? No, that's really interesting. Yeah, that kind of reminds me of, um, here's a little Star Wars reference, but uh, in the new movie, uh, Force Awakens, there, C-3PO has a red arm. Mm-hmm. And there was a whole thing about that, like how did he get this red arm? And, yeah. you know, what's the story behind that? Same type of thing here, you yeah. know, like why, how did Rayek come about to, or sorry, Equar? You know, lose the tip of his ear. I wonder yeah. what the story is behind it. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> I don't know if I should point this out, but a little bit of a art glitch, I guess. Uh, I'm just looking at him in. Well, when uh, he's talking to Ray, because he's flying off. As Ray's flying yeah, away, and I he's still got the too. pointy ear. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can forgive, right? Yes. I mean, can. it looks like the tip of his ear is there, you know, yeah. on his, his right ear. Hmm. Um, yeah. I'm he's not tapped the... into his self shaping powers. Too. Yeah. I'm not really going <laughs> to. Get no, that's yeah. <laughs> that's like that. That's like the five fingers sometimes that show up. Totally, yeah. It's just yeah. you know, it, it, they're little, you know, fun little Easter it eggs. Happens. If if you're a, a, an astute, i.e., obsessive, crazy <laughs> person that you know is going to pour through looking for this stuff, and right, I, 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 and I say that with full love because I'm totally one of those people. Well, didn't you just do that? You went yes, through I, all I, serious as, as I was saying the words, I was like. Ear? I just told you. Yeah, you just exactly did that. What I just did. <laughs> it's okay. I own it. Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 So I love that panel of Equire. I just want to give him a hug. And I also love like the next panel where we get to see Petal Wing. Like we really haven't seen much of the preservers um, other than as just sort of like background characters that mm-hmm. are, you know, pretty much fairly interchangeable, uh, which they've always been. But um, so far in Final Quest, I don't know that we've gotten kind of a tight shot of, 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 of pedal wing or any of the other preservers. Um, you know, they're always just sort of, you know, kind of flying around in the background and, um, you know, maybe saying a line or two here or there, but it was kind of nice to just get a little bit of pedal wing. Cause you know, yeah. pedal wing's cool. And, um, I'd love to see more of the preservers, frankly. Um, you know, so, you know, some of them have been named and, um, it's probably easier for Wendy and Richard to just sort of keep pedal wing as the focus of, you know, anything that is preserver, you know, in the story, yeah. but I, I representative of yeah. the preservers, but I'm surprised it's not Barry buzz because Barry buzz was the one who was hanging around Rayek uh, during the shards era for the most part. Um, wasn't it Barry buzz? Barry buzz was, we got introduced to Barry buzz during the siege of blue mountain era. And that was because pedal wing stayed with Rayek up in the palace when the wolf riders left. And so, Barry Buzz kind of came to the fore because Petalwing was not there in the Forbidden Grove with the rest of the preservers. Okay. And then well, I don't I don't think that during shards I thought that Barry Buzz was with Rayek. Uh, I don't I don't really remember that. No? Um, oh. I'm, I'm I'm going through my brain right now. I mean, during the the shards era, we actually learned the names of a bunch of other preservers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think again that's because there were multiple stories going on and. You know, Petal Wing was in one place. And so, um, but yeah, there's like, there's Berry Buzz, there's Tittersweet, there's Little Sky, there's Willow Snap, there's, I'm sure I'm forgetting, a Bumbleclaw. Um, there's a bunch of them. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, anyway. I, Little Sky, wasn't Little that? Sky, right, was yeah. the, the all blue one that, um, you know, got went to the Sun Village. So, right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I like seeing Petal Wing. And then lastly, mm-hmm. I just totally love the panel. Uh, it's sort of an upshot um, from Rayek's perspective when he's kind of laying on the ground with Ekwar reaching out with his rock shaping magic and pedaling flying forward to wrap him up. And you kind of see just scowling two edge in the background. I just, again, I love it. I like the composition and it's action and dynamic. And, you know, like that's a panel that I would like take a screen cap of and post to put out there to the world to be like, this is elf quest. Yeah. Very dynamic. Very, I mean, just, uh, by their, their body language and their expressions on their faces mm-hmm. communicate so much. 
Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and as you pointed out, the cover of issue 16, which will be out in um, September, mm-hmm. is, is obviously going to deal with what ha- happens as the aftermath of that scene because it's got Rayek on the cover you know, kind of half wrapped up, half in, encased in stone and when a will about to erupt. So mm-hmm. stay tuned because I'm sure there's going to be a lot more to that. Was it this issue or the next that has the extra pages in it? It was this issue. It was this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, the description of the next issue um, says 32 pages. And okay. so um, I actually wrote the blurb that went up on the on the ElfQuest homepage, you know, kind of announcing it. Uh-huh. And I, I I I described it as a special 32 page issue because if you look at these other issues, they're only like 28 pages, um, and so I'm not really sure. But somebody pointed out that Dark Horse always calls ElfQuest 32 pages, so they might be counting the covers. So okay, there might have been a misperception hmm. that it was a longer issue because of that, but it's not. It's just a regular old normal page issue. This is the issue that has an extra four pages. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, all right. So we haven't talked about, you know, the, the core <laughs> of, of the story in ElfQuest yet, um, in this issue, which is Cutter. Mm-hmm. And so the issue picks up, as we mentioned with Cutter's heart circle, you know, sensing him nearby his, you know, his life is fading and so we have this dynamic splash page of Redlance and Nightfall and Skywise and Dryon and Lita, you know, galloping on their wolves and ponies, you know, through the forest, you know, to, to Cutter's aid. And, um, you know, this opening page has, you know, it's, uh, you know, it says that Redlance sees the trail towards Cutter as if lit by countless tiny lanterns. And you can see sort of this, this sort of almost ethereal, magical little glow trail. And um, going back to comic-con um i was talking to wendy about this page actually i was talking to wendy about something totally unrelated we were talking about um and richard too um about can animals see color and i was saying how it really depends on the species like different you know different categories of animals can see things you know see things differently like you know we humans and a lot of you know of, of primates have pretty well-developed color vision that probably goes back to our, you know, our, our all of our ancestors, uh, you know, way, 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 way back when we were, you know, living in forest environments and we had a spot ripening fruit in the trees, right? Mm. So like being able to discern greens from reds, you know, became an important thing. And, you know, we keep it today as well as, you know, contemporary primates. Um, and I was saying same thing with like birds, you know, most birds can see, you know, pretty well in color. That's why many bird species have bright plumage because they can see it. You know, dogs, canids tend to, they can see some colors, but not the full range of colors that we can see. And basically this led me to saying um, insects, um, you know, certain insects can see ultraviolet light, Mm -hmm. which is not perceptible to the human eye. And so, you know, I was saying how like, you know, bees, for example, can look at a flower and there are colors on a flower that has evolved with bees to be its pollinators that are almost like bullseye on some flowers that like literally leads the bee visually down right into where it needs to go to get the nectar and the pollen so that it can essentially pollinate the plant. Uh And, and when I said that, you know, Wendy brought up this page and, and said, that's exactly the kind of thing that she was trying to 
portray, you know, Red Lance with his, you know, his sort of innate wolf rider tracking ability um, that maybe is enhanced, you know, sort of by the the influence of the palace nowadays where he can basically he can almost see the trail. Uh-huh. Um, he can feel the trail in a way that maybe some of the other elves can't. Um, and, you know, we this was first referred to way back in Kings of the Broken Wheel when the Wolf Riders first sort of took their first few flights in the palace, first to the Sun Village and then to what would eventually become Thorny Mountain Holt. And, you know, that's when the palace first started really influencing the abilities of the elves. And there's that whole panel about, you know, Strongbow saying, I don't really have to think, I can just see the prey and I can shoot it. And and um, and we there's that panel that says, Red Lance is like, the trail is so hot, I can almost see it. And we see that repeated here with these little visual, you know, light bubbles going on. I just thought that was neat, so I wanted to share. Yeah, it's very neat. Uh, that's a interesting story. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, really neat to see this um like the visualization of what red lance is actually experiencing when he's um you know utilizing his his not only his tracking ability but in combination with um his plant shaping magic right that this is this is what he perceives and uh we're visually we're you know being um we're given a, a visual uh depiction of that right yeah. yeah which is really the first time we've ever seen that so that's what that's what he's saying also what's interesting is where it says here to him the trees murmur hurry hurry for they are aware life is dwindling so um and i think that's been mentioned before that you know he he almost uh, it's like communicates with the trees and the plants right. um uh so i actually i wanted to get your thoughts on that like does that sort of is that sort of just a like a metaphor? Do you think for what he's experiencing, or are the trees actually communicating with him on a I think conscious level? Well, I would say you know based on what happens in the real world, plants do communicate with each other. But again, just like yeah. it, chemically, it, right? right? Just like in the animal world, you know, across different species, you know the way we perceive the world visually is very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the gulf between, you know, mammals or, or animals and plants is, is, is probably exponentially more huge. And so while plants do communicate, you know, through again, chemicals and through their root systems and, and things like that, um, it's still communication, even though it's wildly different than the way that we might communicate. Mm-hmm. And I think what is being suggested is that Red Lance can tap into that. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, you know, it, it sounds, you know, kind of maybe a little bit anthropomorphic, you know, like the trees are concerned that it's yeah. fading. I don't know if that's necessarily the way it would be. I mean, they could perceive that a life was fading um, and they could be communicating that. Um but in my mind, you know, plants wouldn't really care one way or the other. No, exactly. In fact, it might be a good thing because that's food for them, which right. leads us to mm-hmm. scary ones, right? <laughs> well, I mean, if you think about it that way, that if all the plants are connected to each other and, uh, you know, all living things are, if we're going to, you know, explore that sort of notion, then um, wherever Cutter is right now, the, the plants would – might be able to sense that uh, a living being is dying and then that's communicated throughout all of the plants chemically and because of red lance's shaping power 
um, he's able to sort of pick up on that and and uh, he interprets it as you know the the trees are telling him hurry hurry right exactly that's sort of how I approach it yeah that's exactly how I approach it too like you know maybe the urgency is is you know is Redlance's takeaway from the message that they're giving you know yeah um, but yeah I, I it could yeah. the idea of sort of sentient trees is is also sort of deeply ingrained in fantasy so if the oh, trees sure. themselves really cared i think that i would be fine with that too <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so yeah so before we get into the scary ones a couple other things that are kind of neat um, we get to learn some more wolf names which is always a nice thing so uh looks like nightfall's wolf's name is freshet which i believe is sort of like a little body of water yeah it's um, a freak yeah and um, and Redlance's is called Leaf Mask, which is no surprise because he's got sort of these unique markings on his face or her face. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of neat. Um, and how so, fitting for Redlance, right? Of course. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, I really like the panel in the bottom right uh, of that page. This is the next page. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, the one that mirrors. Yes. The the, the hidden ones exactly, uh, from yeah. the last issue. It's the exact it's the exact image. Totally. close to it yeah. but yeah it, it, we had all of the hidden ones in those uh that same um sort of pose and uh now we have this uh cutter's heart circle in the same pose sort of mirroring it like you said exactly yeah. yeah um yeah no i love that i just and i love the you know i love seeing wolf riders in deep dark green forests it's just it's it it's what elf quest is all about to me oh absolutely yeah yeah um, so, so yeah, so they're in this, you know, very, you know, sort of gnarled, tangled, dense vegetation, you know, they're rushing, they're trying to get to cutter, they get to this little, you know, overhang and Lita is right up front and she looks down and she sees cutter surrounded by and in the clutches of these, you know, sort of shape changing, slithering, you know, elf kind of creatures. And she proceeds to, you know, freak out. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she like dives forward in blind love and like tumbles down, bashes into a branch, but, you know, doesn't let that stop her. And she basically, you know, throws herself at Cutter and, you know, pushes, yanks Cutter's, you know, sort of comatose body out of the clutches of the female um, scary one and mm-hmm. you know, goes. Who hisses at him. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Which is kind of awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's like, wow. okay, like this is all happening. Right. Um, So. Of course, there are no real answers um, to what's going to happen to Cutter um, and what the hell the scary ones actually are, although we do get lots of fodder for speculation. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know what I'll let you take it from there. Uh, well, okay. I, I guess I have to start with, um, Dreon though. Okay. We have to talk about him and how he sort of subdues the, uh, the hidden ones, um, who aren't so much a threat really, but could potentially be one. Um, just because they're, you know, the our elves have never encountered these beings before and they have cutter in their clutches. So, of mm. course, they're on guard, right? What are, what are these things doing? All of a sudden, Dreon comes in and 
starts undressing. <laughs> he gets naked. Never say that when you didn't give us anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, starts humming and singing to them, which seems to really subdue them. And this was just after uh, we are provided with this information that they are repelled by Lita's healing aura. Um, and then that's sort of explained as, uh, later on, I think it's, um, Red Lance that Red explains Lance, yeah. to us that, uh, of course they're repelled by her healing aura because to them death is life. Um, right. because they are, you know, scavengers. they've taken on the form of scavengers and they're made out of decaying plant material from what we can see here. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, I'm completely unsure of exactly, you know, what these beings are. All of us are. I, I'm still not clear on whether they're they're fully material, physical elves who have shape-changed themselves into decaying plant matter, or if they're spirits that have, re- have animated uh, fungus and, and <laughs> plant matter. I have, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. We we don't know what they are really. Um, yeah. okay, and then everybody gets naked. <laughs> everybody's everybody's naked except for <laughs> Cutter and Lita, and they're they're um, being groped by the uh, yeah. <laughs> by the scary elves <laughs> in a lot of compromising positions. It looks like. <laughs> yeah. There's no such thing as gratuitous nudity in it. Just gonna go on record. <laughs> is this the final quest version of the uh, the go back orgy? Well, I mean, we've already had we a go back orgy. Kinda, yeah, this is like oh, the, yeah. yeah, we're getting lots of orgies. But I, I mean, it's not really an orgy so much as what we can tell, or is it? I well, yeah, I mean, what, it goes back to your question: is what exactly are the scary ones? So, my, I, I'm pretty confident in saying, especially after reading this issue, that. They really are a physical, you know, they're physical entities. And we've, you know, we've kind of talked about this in previous episodes. Um, but, I mean, you, you're kind of hearing the Wolf Riders say it themselves, you know, like Nightfall is like, uh, you know, if they are our kin and, and Skyway saying like, there's no trick that elves won't try to, you know, sort of mask themselves or hide themselves, which again, that's that's a big part of what we've talked about in the past, this theme of the elves wanting to stay hidden on the world of two moons, staying out of the eyesight of, of humans and how the scary ones seem to have taken that to, to an extreme. So I think that they are, you know, living, breathing, corporal, you know, elves with bodies. They just seem to be able, you know, they, they, they've channeled all of their magic into really kind of dissolving their, their the pesky four limbed form into this form that is much more mimicking of um, again, all of the decomposing life, um, you know, fungi and, you know, again, rotting leaf litter and everything, which, you know, Redlands even, you know, well, Nightfall even says they stink and Redlands likes it. So I, I, I'm guessing they kind of smell like a compost pile, mm-hmm. which I think kind of smells good too. So, <laughs> so we're calling them the compost elves. <laughs> Yes, the trash heap elves, right? Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Like, so I, uh, Fraggle Rock. Like Fraggle Rock, exactly. Madam, yeah. uh, what was her name? Yeah. <laughs> I oh, loved God, her. I um, yeah. So, so, uh, yeah, you said all these things and I had all these reactions. Um, I'm surprised Nightfall is so turned off by their smell, though, given that they're, um, 
riding on wolves all the time, which are wow. both rolling in just about everything smelly that they can find. You know? It just goes to show you that, you know, cultural sensitivity, you know, even the elves have to learn it sometimes, right? Yeah. yeah. But um, uh, I, I mean, to me, this is really gross, right? Uh, I'm glad Red Lance enjoys it so much because I just wanted to take a shower after reading these few pages. It's like, that's pretty disgusting. These rotting things uh, kind compost of elves are over sliming you, yeah. all over them um well, here's my thought on this. and just to make it even worse they all took their clothes off so <laughs> you know well, it's not like they have a layer of clothing in between now it's like right against your naked body great right. well so so you know wendy's choice to you know give us some naked elves you know for our our own gratification aside <laughs> in story i was totally perplexed by this but somebody um in the facebook fan group discussion said something that I think totally hits the nail on the head. And I think Dreyon sensed it because what, well, Oh, that was the one big thing before we get back to the scary ones is that, you know, we get this explanation, a little bit more explanation about Dreyon's powers that Redlance and, and Lita to a degree are kind of figuring out that, you know, he's got this ability, his humming kind of, it, it, it has this sort of soothing effect and whether that's magic, I think it is some kind of magic. Um, to sort of diffuse situations and, and um, you know, he's almost like a, like an elfin, what's the word? Um, like negotiator. Like, okay. Yeah. You know, like he's able to, through this humming magic and this vibration sort of bring, bring things together, um, mm. you know, bring one side closer to the middle and the other side closer to that middle as well. And, you know, it works on non-elves as well because, well, Redland says, you know, maybe that or someone of them says maybe that's how he survived so long. Uh, uh, Nightfall says it, you know, keeping enemies away by sort of diffusing them with this this humming or whatever. But um, hmm. he clearly is able to tap into um, the the emotional state of being and the mental state of being of other living things. And so... Going back to the nakedness, the thing that somebody on, on, in the Facebook chat uh, or conversation thread said that made so much sense to me um, was that maybe what they're doing is like those little um, fish that you can go to special spas and you like basically put your feet in the water or you might even be able to soak your whole body in the water. And there are th this little species of fish that will come and basically exfoliate you. Mm -hmm. And consume all of the little, you know, sort of dead bits of skin that are microscopic that we are all covered in. Mm. And so thinking about it from that point of view, I was thinking, well, that's that's what they were doing to Cutter. You know, they even said it last issue. They're like, you know, we can't have the whole body yet. We can, you know, there's just the, you know, sort of the dried red, the dried blood that is not alive anymore. So we can kind of scrape that off. And I think that's what they were doing to Cutter because he was mostly naked. And they were able to have all this contact with his skin. And Dreon must have figured that out somehow. And he's like, all right, well, you know, come feed on my dead skin. Give me a full body exfoliation. And um, and then I think Redlands figured it out. And Skywise and Nightfall were just like, all right, I guess we'll, <laughs> we'll just go along. Naked. Any excuse to get naked. Anyway, that's what I think is going on. Um, uh, it's a good working theory. I think I like that. Uh, it would be nice, though, to sort of have in a, a, a more detailed explanation as to you know what's going on 
yeah. with that well, um, in I... story. Um, just because it's it seems rather odd to me that all of a sudden everybody's stripping. Um, I mean, apart from the fact that, yes, we get to see all these naked elves, right? Yeah. Nobody's complaining about that. But just as far as, like, the story itself, like, why, why bother stripping down? Yeah, um, no, I, I, having I, I, these slimy <laughs> compost elves slither all over you. <laughs> I mean, it, it, you know, just thinking about it doesn't sound very pleasant. Yeah. Um, so there must be, you know, what is the reason? Yeah, I think it, it probably bears further explanation in the story because if if I don't know that I would have even thought of of the whole idea of of them, you know, maybe again, sort of consuming the dead bits of skin and everything or whatever would have even come to my mind if, if somebody didn't mention it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it might be a little bit uh, uh, obtuse without an explanation. So we'll see, we'll see what we get from the next issue and so on. But, um, but yeah, so, so, you know, moving on to cutter, you know, Lita has him in her grasp and she's like, don't send to him. Don't talk. Let me just, let me just try to connect with him. And, you know, he's basically sort of two thirds of the way gone and she still is respecting his choice. You know, she says, what does she say? Like, you know, somehow show me, show me that you want to live. And he just sort of gives a, like a half nod and that's all she really kind of needs to, to help him kind of begin to recover. But you'll notice, I don't think we see her actually healing him. Uh, well, we do. No, we, we, I'm flipping through. No, we don't, but we do get, uh, where was it? Uh, a few pages before that, just before, um, Dreon starts, uh, singing, um, the panel right before that, uh, the text in the in the panel says repelled by the healer's aura the creatures hang back watching resentfully so she is healing him there no i I don't know about that though i mean i think that's just what lita naturally puts off just the aura that she exudes you mean yeah she wasn't actually healing him oh okay oh by the because because yeah i mean the first thing that she says is you know again don't send to him don't touch him and and you know i mean timane basically laid that out like he's not in a state that he's going to respond to magic in any other way than going even more nutso than he already is. So I don't know. I don't yeah, you actually, might be I'm, right. I, I'm looking at the panel though, where the caption does read repelled by the healer's aura. And there is a little bit of a glow there, but I don't know. I think if she were healing him, a, it would be inconsistent with kind of what we, what Tamane said and what she's saying to, to Skywise, like don't send to him or whatever. And B, I think we would see, you know, that the very clear circular yellow glow that we see when when Lita is healing, mm-hmm. and we don't really see that. Yeah, to see her holding to him, talking to him, like come back to us. Yeah, because I mean, the next time, a couple pages later, when you, we see him, he's still prone and unconscious, and she's not healing him in that panel where she, where you know, where she says, "Come back, come back to life." So I don't think she's healing him. I think she's. Not with magic, anyway. Um, right. Yeah, I think you might be right. I don't really see any sort of uh, indication that she actually is healing him. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. And then she kind of talks him back into awareness, you know, and, um, you know, he kind of comes back to her and he's, 
you know, so, sort of like he's looking in her eyes and then the scary ones show up and he freaks out and bolts again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He took off again. Um, and then we move on to the next panel and it's uh, days later. Right. And both um, Nightfall and Red Lance are saying, you know, don't don't run away again. We're <laughs> we're tired out from chasing you. <laughs> so Cutter's obviously uh, scared of of uh, the compost elves. Well, I think he's just sort of shell shocked. I think right? so. I yeah, think yeah. That, like this PTSD is... from from this major revelation about you know the origin of his being, right? And anything could set him off, you know. And so, um, I, I probably the magic of the scary ones, uh, you know, is something that like his sensing of the magic, the same way that they can sense Lita's magic, even if she's using it or not. That probably more than than or just as much as their looks freaked him out and made him bolt mm-hmm. um, but yeah they they seem to have captured him and recollected him and he still seems like totally out to lunch and they're giving him a bath yeah and he gets some new clothes which is kind he's, of neat yeah he's got a new uh, new leathers he's not talking at all um almost catatonic at right. this point yeah and um the new his new clothes are, are kind of neat in that they they're an interesting reflection of Lita's color palette. Mm-hmm. You know, with sort of the green and the and the uh, blues, the yeah, and like that sort of turquoise color. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we've seen him mostly so far in the final quest, wearing sort of the tans and the white fur and stuff that that he wore in the very you know in the original quest, um, up until Kings of the Broken Wheel when. He switched to wearing sort of an all dark color palette when the palace had stolen away his family. Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe there's some symbolism going on here with this new outfit in Final Quest with Cutter switching from, you know, sort of, again, the the tans and, you know, golds and things that he was wearing now to this sort of, you know, black and dark blue and green. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, quite a different color palette. Uh, It also sort of reminded me a little bit of um his uh leathers that he had um when he was in blue mountain the ones that were given to him by the gliders oh right but he only like had the shirt on for <laughs> yeah for not very long Pike burned it off of him yeah um, but but yeah i mean again another dark period so i think that there i think that there's some symbolism in his clothing yeah that's an interesting uh observation the color might sort of reflect the uh you know, his, his, um, the state of the character. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he, you know, as, as Wendy and Richard have talked about, you know, this idea of the hero's journey and Cutter sort of being in the, in the cave right now, which is like sort of the low point and the black point and, you know, the dark point and all of that. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I think he's still there, although now there might be a little bit of a light at the end of that cave in the form of his heart circle helping to sort of pull him out. But right. I think that again, maybe the clothing and the dark color palette were chosen deliberately to reflect that. Mm-hmm. I think so too. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that. Um, so yeah. So like you said, um, you know, Cutter doesn't really talk until, you know, it, obviously again, it's been days of them trying to sort of bring him back and, 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 you know, not using magic per se, but just their presence and their love and, and Skyway shows him New Moon, and he finally kind of responds um, when 
but but you know without words he just sort of t- accepts a new moon and ties it back on his belt and then you know lita is talking about how the scary ones are not really a threat um how they won't kill and she even says it we right here she says we think you found a new elf tribe yeah of course you know skyways is like you know not by chance like cutter has always been able to do this like and he says you knew sorrow's end before you even saw it and so and and then that's when cutter speaks and the only things he says is, is sorrow's end and i feel like there's two different conversations going on here in the in these scenes there's like what lita and skywise are saying mm-hmm. you know and they're like trying to bring him back into reality and you know lita's like remember my parents and and everything and 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 cutter is like verbalizing the word sorrow's end but i think in my mind he is thinking like those words mean something totally different to him in that moment. Yeah, like, like he's you... somewhere else. He's on a completely different yeah. process, I think. Right? Um, yeah. Hmm. Well, what do you think? What elaborate no on idea. that? Okay. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't begin to tell you. Um, is that? I think that's the last we see of them. Yeah, in the issue. So um, I don't know, but we know that Cutter. He's got New Moon back. He's not running off like a lunatic anymore. He's saying words. He's got new clothes. I think all of this is indicating that he's emerging out of the cave um, after, you know, completely having lost almost everything, including his life. Yeah, he lost his wolf friend. He lost his identity, you know, and I think we're beginning to see him kind of pull out. Yeah, this will be um, interesting These for the last, you know, um, the last third of the final quest to see how cutter comes out of the cave and comes to terms with everything that he's learned about himself because i i think that that's where we're headed right now as far as cutter um and his part in this story um which is the main storyline right um so it will be interesting to see how he comes to terms with all of this and how all of that plays out because he is going to have to either come to terms with the fact that he is part of Tamain's spirit that they're um they're one and the same really um and uh you know he either has to come to terms with it or it will destroy him so you know to see that journey out of the cave now how that's going to manifest and what bearing that will have upon the entire race of elves is going to be really interesting yeah, mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to that to see how he comes to terms with everything. Well, speaking um, of races of elves, uh-huh. so yeah. again, you know, another example of words being said, but I think being heard and and taken, you know, completely differently than by different groups of elves. So you know, Cutter says sorrows end, and and Lita is like, yeah, remember Sun Village and you know Sun Toucher and my and Tura and Sava, the mother of memory, and Cutter says Sava, and then. Dreon, while singing with whatever words he's using to sing, you know, says Sava. Mm-hmm. And the scary ones all freak out. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Sava. And they're repeating it, sending among themselves. Mm-hmm. This is the big mystery, I think, of this issue. Yeah. Um, you know, because all of a sudden we're presented with this scenario uh, that sort of ties these the hidden ones to um, Sava and how are they connected? And so now all of a sudden we're all, you know, um, um, contemplating what that could mean. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So so there's really only you know one one last thing to really kind of talk about. Du Bois. Du Bois. <laughs> it never gets old, does it? <laughs> nope. <laughs> Even though he's demand now, I guess. But uh, <laughs> so yeah. So the the you know the 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 traveling party of wave dancers who you know salt and spray and their escorts are you know in the middle of the ocean. They encounter the the Jun's fleet, the deceased Jun's fleet. Um, on their way to the continent of Iceholt, which is where the, the you know the, the Cutters Wolf Riders are, to basically go you know wreak havoc and again commit genocide and all of that fun stuff that you know the humans on the world of two moons like to do, mm-hmm. and um, you know of course you know we we knew that Du Bois had basically sold out all of his secrets about the elves under the threat of torture. Um, so he kind of redeems himself a little bit because he warns them when he's eight, when he spots the, the wave dancers in the water and he's like, warn sunstream, warm cut, warm cutter. They're, they're coming, they're going to attack the, the father tree, whatever. And, um, and he ends up <laughs> diving overboard and thankfully monster reef gets him, And, um, and so all of that, it just happens. But what's interesting is wh- how the elves react, right? Because mm-hmm. they send out to sunstream and say like, Hey, they're coming, and then he basically sends it out to every elf on the world of two moons. Yeah. So we get to see all the different groups reacting. You know, we know that this group of wave dancers is heading in that direction. We see, you know, Cutter's Wolf Riders under Ember's leadership reacting. We see Ember's Wolf Riders over on the other side of the world under Tears leadership reacting. We see the Gobacks reacting. And of course, the Gobacks are like, let's just blow them up with a palace. <laughs> yeah exactly it's like yeah that's probably not such a good idea <laughs> um so yeah so everybody this issue ends with everybody sort of in deep deep motion um that's this well, is where yeah. where we see door and chat and then the final panels go to shuna and Shenchen and kimo mm-hmm. and you know shuna is sort of perceiving this call from sunstream because we know you know she is sort of eventually going to become you know, uh, develop sending. And so she's sensing something and the issue ends with her looking at her sword, which yes. just gives me the chills. Cause I would love to see badass Joan of Arc Shuna for one more time. <laughs> so would I. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Pike sums it up quite well. I think when he says the turd storm's coming. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think that sums it all up. Yeah, it pretty much does. So, hmm. uh, yeah, um, I. It sounds like, you know, Tear is going to bring you know Ember's branch to the Wolf Riders, which I'm kind of excited to see all the Wolf Riders together again. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I haven't tallied them up, but I mean, if you combine Ember's Wolf Riders and Cutter's Wolf Riders, you probably would have a tribe about the size of the tribe when we first met them. You know, roughly yeah. seventeen or so. I think um, so. Yeah, around twenty know. individuals. Yeah. yeah. Something yeah. so I don't think it would be too unmanageable, um, and no. um, you know I mean I think you know the the the, the revelation that the elves are not going to use the palace as a weapon mm-hmm. um, on the one hand is disappointing because I would love to see them blow up the entire Jun's fleet but then that would kind of make for a pretty dull story right so yeah um, so I kind of I you know I think the the explanation is is plausible you know they don't want to taint the the palace by using it for death and destruction Mm -hmm. you know i mean i think that makes a lot of sense 
Yeah, it's not a weapon of mass destruction. Right. They don't I want mean, to use it as that. It could be. It could I guess. be, right, yeah. yeah. And if you think about it as crystal and this idea that, you know, crystal holds energies and we know that, you know, there are positive energies and negative energies and, and these energies can, can sour and go, you know, and fester, I think it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. You know? And it, it again, it takes out the palace as being the, the magic bullet, if you will, Um <laughs> No pun intended, um, <laughs> you know, and, and it, with, without it just being an excuse, you know, similar again to me, to me, the, the, you know, Tim Ains refusal to let Skyways go zip around the world and pick up all the elves also, you know, it does the same thing. It's like how, how, you know, we have a tool that can just you know, instantly go gather everybody, but wouldn't that again, make for a dull story and the explanation that, you know, the lesson of the world of two moons is the lesson of pain and, and that living and struggle is good. And that we, and that choice ultimately is, is so important that we're not going to go just whisk everybody up. I mean, I think it's, it's the same kind of thing. Um, yeah, I agree. Now, now, you know, going back to our earlier conversation about door, a thought just occurred to me, mm-hmm. you know, what if door feels differently than, the, you know, what is, what does Venka say? You know, um, those wiser than us, uh, what the, but those wiser than we caution that bloodshed would poison the palace. Right. And then, um, Murph, the blonde go back says, oh, yeah. you know, you know, well, can't we convince the Sunfolk and Timane to change their mind? You know, maybe Dora's going to show up and be, you know, the, the voice of, you know, the, the hawk, right? He, the military mm, hawk. And maybe mm. he's going to say, well, these stupid humans, like, let, they're like pesky flies. Let's just blast them out of the water. You know, it would be really interesting if there was a faction of go-backs that sort of sided with Dor. Ooh. Ooh, that could be a nice little conflict, little conflict within the conflict. Mm-hmm. I can totally see that happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe, you know, like, well, why can't we use the palace? Right. Although I can't see them giving up their loyalty to Venka. But who knows? Maybe like, uh, so maybe there's a faction. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I think that's a really excellent place to stop because we could probably speculate <laughs> about that for like four more hours. And we probably, I think we're, you know, we're well over two hours at this point. So, um, is there anything else that you think we didn't cover that you want to touch on no i uh i think we covered all of the bases with that one it was a great issue and um i'm excited to see what comes next yeah for sure and oh you know we we saw the return of the letters pages which was kind of nice i know um dark horse hasn't been getting a ton of letters or emails sent to them so a few issues didn't have them so it was nice to see people writing in and um you know to see you know some of the same names and faces that we know from from online, but also some names uh, of people that I don't recognize. So that that's kind of nice. And speaking of recognizing, I, I get, we're going to give a big shout out to um, Heather Biskitza for gathering everybody's elfy selfies and sending them into Dark Horse because they actually made it into the issue. Yeah, that's that was pretty awesome. cool. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. So um, I great. know that that made a lot of fans days to see themselves in an actual issue of ElfQuest. And I, I think that's pretty awesome. Yeah. How cool is that? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. All right. Well, on that note, why don't we fade into the unreleased song from Slammerkin, which is the Canadian band who um, has created an album that contains a bunch of ElfQuest themed songs. We kicked the podcast off with a song called The Healer. And this new song, again, which has not been released anywhere, is called 
wait for it, warrior bitch. Two guesses on who it's about. Um, the, the, the folks at Slimer can warn us that it is not safe for work lyric-wise, so I want to give you that out, uh, that, that little caution. But um, it's not anything that I, I think yeah, is going to really stand out too much. But the, the song is about Kavi. And it's called Warrior Bitch. So, um, Ryan, I'm going to let you cue that up and take it away. And, um, you know, until next time, until September when issue uh, 16 comes out, I hope everybody has a good rest of the summer. And, um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you then.